Well, I want to give you uh, a big welcome wherever you are uh, watching, whether you're in Tulsa, whether you're connecting with us in Oklahoma City, uh, all across America, and even some of our friends in Zambia. Uh, thank you so much for joining us this morning. You know, this church, a lot of people uh, refer to it as the Contact Mission Church, the 1115 hour. Uh, I'm at the point where I think we're, we're probably just gonna call this Brunch Church because I know all of you are sitting at home right now enjoying brunch, uh, a little bacon and eggs or maybe some of that Sunday roast a little bit early. Uh, if you don't mind, just go ahead and in the comments, uh, share what you're eating this morning and uh, let everybody experience that. Thank you for being here. Today we're going going to get into the big idea, once again, of God's glory. And we've been looking at God's glory from different perspectives. Last week, we talked about fear not. On week one, we talked about the story we find ourselves in. And today, we're going to look and see how Jesus shows up and what glory does uh, and how glory bridges gaps in our lives that often, uh, that often separate us. So let's go ahead and get into today's message. I'm going to read two verses, and then let's pray together. John chapter 4, verse 6, Jacob's well was there. Where? Sychar, Samaria. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Well, Jesus, today, we ask that you would reveal yourself to us in new ways. We ask for a revelation of who you are in our lives. We ask that you would uh, go above and beyond what I'm able to do, um, but that you would encounter people, that they would experience you, that they would understand how powerful you are and how kind you are and how you show up for us even on our worst day. Thank you for being a God who is for us, Thank you for being with us, and thank you for giving us purpose and a calling in life. It's in your name we pray, amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I am at the point where I am a little bit tired of the distance. Like on week one, I was okay. Just kind of doing my thing as far as uh, shelter in place, and some people will refer, refer to it as the quarantine living. I'm okay with it on week one. Week two, all right, like I'm kind of missing people. There are two often groups of people that are uh, referred to. One is the group of extroverts and the other is the group of introverts. And a lot of introverts have actually been having a great time during this shelter in place because they're saying, man, I've been needing some me time for a long time. But then there are some of us who are um, itching to get back <laughs> into hanging out with people, lunches, coffees, breakfast, whatever it is. Can't wait to spend more time with people because we know that with everything else we can be doing in, in life, if it's not with people, like it just doesn't quite feel right for us. I probably lean on that side of the extroverts who are really missing, if you don't mind just in the live chat, go ahead, drop in. What are you, extrovert, introvert? And uh, if you're at it and you're on the Enneagram, tell us what your uh, Enneagram number is. Anyway, let's keep going. Um, I am convinced of this, though, that God is the anti-social distance, social distance club 
president. In other words, he's not very good at keeping his distance from the people that he loves. Now, he could do it, but he's a God who loves to come close. He loves to be near us. He loves to, well, it it even says that he dwells within us. And so today, as we look at Jesus, the God-man walking this planet, what does it look like when he shows up in our lives. Like I said, I miss a lot of the things that we were doing uh, before social distancing. For instance, uh, I've got a little nephew, and I got to meet him last week. Man, this kid is so cute, got the big cheeks, just special little guy, six days old when I first hold him. We have a great time. The whole time I'm wearing a mask. Well, I don't want to live life with a mask. I don't think you want to live life with a mask. I think we want to be in the rhythm of doing the things we love, just like NBA playoffs and all of those things that come along with it. I'm thankful that we have the last dance where we can enjoy some of those things. But often right now, like I feel distanced from the very thing that I love. Like the things that I just enjoy in life. That's what I feel the greatest level of distance from. Now, the interesting thing is that for some people, they've been saying that they don't love this social distance, but it's almost like they don't love it because it's required right now. Some people have been doing this for a long time. Like they just order everything on Postmates. It's brought to their door. They open the door, grab the food, come back inside. They don't really want to interact with everybody. Uh, It's online friends. It's digital engagement, and digital engagement and digital content only get us so far in life. I believe that we are made for God. We are made for love. We are made for each other. We're made for life. And the distance we feel right now is especially magnified because it's something that we are all going through. It's something that when you actually do sit down with somebody and you make sure that you are six feet away from them, as I did a few nights ago hanging out with a few friends, well, I want to like spend time with you, but also it feels a little bit weird because we're not used to doing this now. We often end up, if we're being honest, I think we often end up with more distance in our lives than we want. Sometimes that distance looks like uh, distance from what we're experiencing as far as distance to the, to the NBA season, but sometimes it's distance from the people that we love. Sometimes it's a family member that you're in the same house with and you wish you were closer with them. You see them every day, you eat at the same table, but you almost feel like you don't know this person. What we want to do is understand how can we possibly bridge the gap that disconnects us from each other. One of the greatest distances I believe we all experience in life is actually the distance between you and me and God. Like the distance between our God and us can be something that feels really overwhelming. I don't know if you've ever been there, but for me personally, I have had my moments when I have felt like God is nowhere close to me. And I've also had moments in my life where I feel like God probably wouldn't want anything to do with me. I don't know if you feel like that. I've got some people in my life where sometimes it's not about them. It's not how they've been, but it's something going on with me. Like maybe they don't actually like me. 
Maybe they actually don't want to spend time with me. Maybe, maybe like, like, are we really friends? Like, are we really good? Or like, I don't know. Like, I just want to make sure, like, are, are we okay? Like, is, is there a distance that I don't know about? Like, is there a gap? Like, what, what's, what's missing in there? Like, and, and often that distance shows up in our anxiety. That distance often shows up just in feeling confused about what the relationship is. Our, our distance often shows up in our worry. Our distance shows up in our sadness. Our distance shows up in depression. Distance often shows up in cynicism. And distance often shows up in doubt. I believe that there's nothing that really distances us from each other and from God quite like shame does. You know, even when, when you think about all the big distancers in life, like, man, I wish that the distance was closer from my home to my commute. Yeah, I totally get it. I wish that my distance was closer from where I live to where my family lives. Or I wish that the distance between, like, the love that I had and the broken heart that I have, I wish that those were, like, clo- like I, I don't know, it just feels like there's a lot of distance and gap and pain in those spaces, I don't believe that there's any great, greater distancer for our lives, though, than shame. Like, shame is the great distancer. Shame is the thing that often separates people, not just from each other, but from life and from God. Shame, as Brene, Brene, as Brene Brown defines it, shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Have you ever, ever felt like that? Like just incredibly flawed and unworthy of belonging. It could be a really difficult place to be in, you know? You walk into a space and even if you know all the faces, you don't quite feel at home. When you think about God, you think more about the things that you do that separate you from God than his kindness and his love for you. When you think about the goodness and grace and mercy of Jesus, you don't really think about him and the kindness in his eyes. Like instead, you think about your regrets and the things that you've done that unqualify you for his love. And well, begins to be a message inside and that message of shame disconnects it separates us. It takes us out of a close relationship with him. Today's message is this glory. This world is so fragile and cruel. I'm glad I got you. So like this comes from my friend JB. He's releasing an album called uh, this world is so fragile and cruel. And I, th- the more I thought about it, the more I thought, man, like shame really f- makes you feel fragile and cruel. By the way, you can pick that shirt up. Shout out JB, shout out Groupfly, much love fam. But uh, support local artists, pick it up online. But look, like what, what I'm trying to get to in this is that there's a world that is really fragile. At least it feels really fragile. And there's a world as well that feels really cruel. And a lot of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, your relationships feel fragile. Like, you're going to do something wrong again that's going to create 
a sense of brokenness for the people around you. Like it's something about you that creates a problem for others. It's like you treat everything like it's one of those packages in the mail, like fragile handle with care because what you're familiar with is when people didn't handle you with care and instead they treated you like it didn't matter. And those things along the way created a sense of shame. Maybe it's something you've done or maybe it's something that was done to you. Life becomes fragile. Life feels fragile in those times when shame really weighs in. It's like every relationship and every good thing and everything that you love that seems to be present, you're not sure if you're going to be able to hold on to it very long. You're probably going to break it. Like something is going to go wrong in the process. And then there's the other side and it's that shame makes life feel cruel. When you think about the places that you've been and the things that you've done, or the things that were done to you. You start thinking about how it's unfair the opportunities you didn't get. It's unfair the way that that person, when you were eight years old, treated you. It's unfair the pain that you've gone through. Shame makes you feel fragile, makes you feel cruel. think when we look at the Bible, whether we're opening our Bibles with this question or or not, there's a question inside of all of us. And if it's, 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 if, if God, like, if you're really who you say you are, my question is like, how do you respond to me? Like, because I know what it's like when other people and the shame around me, like, I know what it's like when that stuff that's weighing on me, like all of those burdens, I know what it's like when I carry that. But God, like, I don't want that to be the defining factor of our relationship. So my question is this, Jesus, like, how do you respond to shame? Like, when you see it, what do you do? And I love in John chapter 4, going back to these passages, it says that Jesus had sat down at the well. It was about noon, and a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? And she said to him, "You you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave, um, who gave us the, this well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So Jesus looks at her and after he said, you could ask me for this water, instead of saying, here's the water, what he says is, well, go call your husband and then come back. 
And she says, I have no husband. And Jesus says, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. And then there's a moment, I don't know if you can see it in your Bible, it's in my Bible, it's just like in the fine print right there, and it's the moment where it's just like crickets. <laughs> like, what did you just say? You're not friends on Facebook. You, you, you don't follow each other on Instagram. How do you know who I am and where I come from? But this woman might actually know. This might actually be a very familiar story for her where people knew about her before they met her because the failings in her life were on display for everyone to see. That's why she showed up at noon. At that time, women showed up at the well at the same time to draw water, but this woman showed up at a different time than anyone else. And Jesus shows up in a moment when she's in isolation. But he doesn't show up to increase her shame. He shows up to save her from her shame. That's the power of what God does in our lives when we are at our wit's end, when we feel broken, when we feel like we have no place left to go, Jesus shows up. Listen, man, shame separates. Jesus shows up. Shame separates. It's the distancer. It's the thing that keeps us out of relationship. And Jesus shows up for people who feel like no one in the world will show up for them. People may show up, but it's not for their good. People may show up, but it's not because they're trying to bless them or give them something. It's because they're trying to get something from them. And Jesus says, that's not how it works with me. When you know me, when you walk with me, it's about me giving you something that you can't give yourself. It's about me giving you something that you can't get for yourself outside of me. Jesus shows up. And he offers her life. Man, you know what that's like if you've been at the end of yourself. This is not the moment for the religious people. Because there are some people who have been so religious and they've been so perfect in their lives and their mind that they don't really understand their own need for, for grace. This is for those of us who have felt completely broken and like no one and nothing in the world would have us. That's the moment that Jesus shows up for. Jesus is there and he offers her not just water, he offers her living water. In other words, I got something that you don't have otherwise. You're at this well, but I got a, I, I got a different well that I'm drawing from. I've got a place of grace that you haven't experienced yet. And her response is, give me this water. And when she asks for it, what Jesus does is remind her, this is, this is important. He reminds her where she's been. You say, that's to increase her shame. Watch where he's going. Because Jesus isn't reminding where you've been to increase your shame, but rather to help you see what he is coming to save you from. Now check this out. 
she gets a little uncomfortable with the conversation and switches it because she's been pretty good as far as church attendance lately. And she says, sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. We've got a, we've got a temple on this mountain. And the Jewish people are showing up at the temple in Jerusalem. So which one is it? I want to know. And Jesus says, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come. We're here in this moment right now. Don't miss it. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Now, what Jesus has done right here is he's flipped the switch on everything going on in her life. I thought it was about a place. Jesus says wrong. It's now about a person. That's why brunch church is working out real well for us right now, actually, because as long as we're here together and we're meeting and we're, we're having fellowship with Jesus, we're going to be okay. But you can show up and do all the religious things and leave your heart out of it. And if you leave your heart out of it, none of it matters. Jesus is saying to her, God is looking for, for people in their pursuit of truth who bring their whole spirit to it. In other words, there's the Pharisees. They do all of the religious things. It's so right and it looks good and perfect and wonderful, but it's not what God wants. God wants your heart. He wants your whole heart. He wants everything as you pursue him in worship. Now check this one out. In John chapter 2, Jesus said, if you destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it back up. Temple will come back in three days. They said, what are you talking about? But they didn't know that Jesus was actually talking about himself. So this woman is talking to him, and she's saying that there's a temple that the Samaritans worship at, and there's a temple where the Jewish people are worshiping at, and which temple should it be? But what she doesn't understand is that the temple of God is Jesus. So the temple speaks to her about where the worship happens. It is not where, but it's who, and it's you with God, with everything that you have. That's worship. And when you show up in your pursuit of truth and seeking him, that's the kind of worshiper that God is seeking. You can do all the things right, but if you miss it, she's like, man, I've been showing up and I've been teaching in my Sunday school. That's great. I've been, you know, I've, I've, I've been taking communion every week. I've been, I've been baptized. I've, I've walked it out. I've done all the things that you call me to. I know I messed up in, in, in my life, but I've been doing these other things. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the authentic person coming to Jesus, seeking him in spirit and in truth. That's what God's looking for. And then something fascinating happens right after that. She says, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. When he gets here, okay, cool. Like this is a good conversation, but we got somebody on the way. He'll, he'll figure it out. And Jesus declares, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. 
That's me. I'm the one you were looking for. Now it says in John chapter 4, verse 16, go call your husband and come back. And she said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Now, at that time, and if you look in Jewish history, there's a number that's significant. The number six is significant. It's the number of man. Man was created on the sixth day. And throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, you'll you'll even see the number six show up. But what the number six often represents is what's lacking. Like it's the number of man. It's not the number of God. The number of God is the number seven. On the seventh day, God rested. The seventh is perfection. The seventh is completion. In John chapter 2, at the, um, at the big festival that's happening at the wedding, Jesus brings out six jars of water and turns them into wine. The seventh jar isn't a jar. It's the person who's bringing it all to pass. In John chapter 4, Jesus is the seventh man. In other words, the other six have all messed it up in her life. In fact, one, two, three, four, five, it went so bad that at six, she's like, it is what it is. We'll just call it what it is. Like, I'm not going to pretend that it's something that, that it's not. I don't necessarily want this, but it's what I got. So I'm not really going to get married. We're just going to kind of like, we're not going to call it anything. It's just going to be like what it is right now. Some of you know exactly what that's like. I've been let down so many times in life. I've been discouraged so many times. I feel like I've been taken advantage of so many times. I don't feel like I can trust anybody around me. And so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to, it is what it is. I don't really have expectations for good, but I'll tell you this. I'm not going to let that person have enough of me. I'm not going to let them get close enough to me that they can actually know my heart. Like, I'm not giving them my heart. It is what it is. Like, it's number six. But Jesus is the seventh, the God man. And the seventh man is different than the other six men because the six men showed up trying to get something. Jesus shows up trying to share something, trying to give life instead of trying to take what she has. This is the goodness of God. God shows up for us and he knows everything about us, but he doesn't leave us. Instead, what he does is he invites us to share our lives with him and he continues to accept us as we are. And then he calls us up into a life of worship. He calls us up into a life of spirit and in truth. He calls us up to something more than what we could do on our own. Now, in John chapter 4, verse 28, his disciples have just gotten back, but it says, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way to him. 
Now, verse 41 says this, and because of his words, many more became believers. So out of her testimony, an entire village has changed. Don't discount what God will do in your life because of your past. The thing that you think makes you um, completely unacceptable to God ever in your life is actually the thing that he'll take and he'll turn and he'll say, now I can really use you for my purposes. In fact, it seems like in the Bible, the worse you are and the more you mess up, the more God seems to find you irresistible. Now, I'm not saying that he's telling you to go wreck your life with sin. I'm just saying that he keeps on using people who completely mess up everything that was good in their lives. Now, he loves it when you seek him with all that you are, but if you have not spent your life doing that and you have been just a train wreck to this point, man, you are completely qualified then for Jesus to use you in a mighty, powerful way as long as you come to him with your authentic self. How does Jesus respond to to shame? Well, like I said, shame creates a distance, a gap, and the gap is where often in our lives where we end up either in a place of grumbling or we end up in a place of gratitude. We end up either talking about what's not and we end up with smaller dreams and we end up discouraged and defeated and we end up cynical and frustrated and angry and bitter and we, it's just internal sometimes. We don't even say it to to anybody. Some of you say it to, to, to everybody, but you just grumble inside. Man, I can't believe, I can't believe that they treated me like that. And sometimes your memory isn't even right about the situation because it's been so affected by sin. You need Jesus to purify your your memory so that you can even see a situation redeemed the way that he would want you to see it. But you have some people who are grumblers and then you have some people who in that gap as well, that distance There's gratitude, and you're like, hold on, why are some people in grumbling, but some are in gratitude? And it's as simple as this. My my friend Stephen Furtick, if he, no, we don't hang out. I just, well, we do hang out. It's mainly him talking. It's all him talking. We've been doing that for about 15 years with his messages online, but I heard this one time and I was like, okay, that's what it is. See, shame is that gap, right? It's the place from where I am to where I want to be. It's the place from what I want to be doing to being holding, to holding on to my past. It's all the things that are stacked up that I wish I could get rid of, but I can't seem to get rid of. And it just continues to hold on to me. That's the place of shame. And because of that, that's the place where my dreams are defeated and I'm discouraged and I feel like I can't go forward in life. That's where the grumbling happens. That's where I look back and I go, man, I can't believe it happened to me like like that. I wanted more than that in life, but this is what I got out of it. God, I wanted more. Why did you let that happen? God, like, and, and I just stay there. But the way that you shift from being so negative about life and what happened, 
The way that you shift over into a life of gratitude is not just by you getting more grateful. It's actually by receiving what he's done because the gap where the shame is, the gap that separates us from relationships, the gap that separates us from from God and from each other, the gap that keeps us isolated, that's the gap where the grace goes. And if you get where the grace goes, you can shift over into the gratitude. But if you don't get where the grace goes and the grace doesn't fill it, you end up over here and grumbling. And if you stay here, you're exhausted in life. But if you step over here into gratitude, it's because you've been refreshed in life. And the only way there that I can see is by the grace of God. And here's the reason why. Because you and I show up at a well no matter where we are in life. We're always showing up at wells. And the problem is we usually show up at the wrong well. You know, like you and I, we show up at the well of entertainment. (laughs) And you've probably figured it out, but for some reason, Netflix just doesn't quite satisfy your soul. Instagram just doesn't make you a more content person. Like, It doesn't seem to work that the things that are offered to us, and right now God is stealing all of our idols and saying, come to me, the source of refreshment, and I can give you life. If you'll receive it from me. In fact, what Jesus says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is, that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Indeed, the water I give them, this is verse 14, will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. In other words, you stop going from searching for the well to understanding you are the well when you got Jesus in your life. You go from searching for the well. I'm thinking about one of my good friends now, completely by the time he's late high school, just graduating, completely wrecks his life with, with drugs. What's he doing? He's just at the well. Maybe it started at the well of popularity or the well of rebellion. I don't know what the well was originally, but the well was the place that ended up, man, he searched for the highs and for the lows and everything in between, but all it left him was addicted and exhausted. He wanted more in life, but he's at the wrong well. Now, sometimes we see people at a well, and we're like, man, I can't believe how they got there. Like, look at Tanya right over there. Man, she had a good family. She was at the right place. Like, she was good in church, but then, like, I don't know what, what happened. When she was 16, she just started wiling out. Like, it was crazy. I don't know why she went in that direction. Because she comes from a good family and her Sunday school teachers were good and the church was good and the pastor was good and everything was good. But they don't know that along the way, Tanya had some people who treated her in a way where she ended up abused, where she ended up in a world wrecked from what she had hoped. She had the wrong well. And she doesn't even feel like she can go back to the good well. There's so much shame there. She's certain she doesn't belong anywhere. See, I had this idea with this message. I had this idea with this message. I wasn't even preaching this message. I was preaching a different message this week. Ron, you know what that's like, I bet. 
you're like working on a message and like, man, it's not coming together. It's not coming together. And so I'm like, God, what do you want me to say? And he's like, thank you for asking me. It's about time. And then I just sat down. I just sat down in in my living room. Literally, I sat on my floor. And God started reminding me. Started reminding me of the wrong wells that I've gone to. Because here's the the thing. Nice stage, nice carpet, beautiful rug up here. Nice wall. Nice shirt. (laughs) Nice MacBook. It all looks nice, right? But that's not my, like, my life hasn't all been nice. Like, I don't want to talk to you about the times when I've been manipulative. Let's talk about that with somebody else. (laughs) Or that, like, I had to go see a counselor (laughs) to recognize that I was manipulative and compliant. (laughs) That... I had to go and sit down and get some help in the process that, like, I, I, don't, I don't want to tell you about the times in my past when I've lied. <laughs> like, I'd rather just talk about how Jacob was a liar in the Bible, but God redeemed him <laughs> because it just doesn't feel as good to share with you, you know, those things. It doesn't feel as good to share that, like, my past has a struggle with porn. Now, I don't want to, like, share that with you or share that, like, yeah, I use accountability software or that I, you know, meet with guys to keep me accountable. But I've just discovered in the process that I'm weak. And that I've gone to the wrong well. And I, I, I just want to stand up here. Man, I, I got it together. I got it figured out. I don't want to tell you about when I've held on to bitterness. I don't want to tell you about, like, all the times that I've just... I, I didn't even understand how unforgiving I was <laughs> until the past few years. And God just started showing me how little grace I offered to other people in my heart. And I realized, man, I'm at the wrong well. I'm at the well of self. And you know this, what comes up in your bucket is what's at the bottom of your well. This woman says something to Jesus that's so profound. Verse 11, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? The well is deep. The well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Like, I want to experience this thing that you're talking about, but where can you get this living water? Can I just say it again? The well is deep. You have nothing to draw with. This is where a lot of us are in life is that the bucket we have, we've been going to the wrong well. Man, it's a, it may be a deep well, it may be a shallow well, but the, the water in it, there's not a lot there. So when we dip, we bring it back up, there's not much in the bucket. You went to the first well, it didn't work. She went to the second well, it didn't work. The third well, it didn't work. The fourth well, the fifth well. We're talking five husbands, none of them work. The sixth well, I don't even know what it is now. 
you've been at the wrong well. We've been at the well. We've been at all of these shallow wells trying to dip and get nothing from it. And we wonder why we're so empty. Here's the thing, man. We dip into a well of shame, and when we sip that shame, we are suffering because we are not experiencing what God intended for us. We end up suffering. And Jesus sees you in your isolation, in your shame, and he doesn't want you to suffer in silence anymore. That's why he shows up. That's why, that's why we look at the world and we say, man, shame makes you fragile and shame treats you cruel. But Jesus, I'm glad I got you because I know where I come from and I know the wells I've tried and I know that it didn't work and I know that I've tried other things and I know that I've turned from you and I know that I don't deserve you and I know that, that I was the person that actually put you on the cross. But my goodness, God, thank you for being so good that you treated me to eternal life that you said I want you to experience experience all that I have for you, that you would look at me and love me and say, the grace is going in there where the distance is. It's where the gap goes. And I could receive that in Jesus' name. Hey, you and I, we are made for God. We are made for love. We are made for life. Let me ask you this. Can you just imagine what would happen in your life if you received grace? Like, what if you let grace be the theme of your life? Let it, what if you decided to go to the well of contentment, that is Jesus, and drink everything that he has for you, that you could receive eternal life, that you could just go to him and say, I am all in with everything that you have. That's what I want. Can you imagine how that would change your life? Can you imagine, like, what would happen in your relationships in your family, like what would happen in your heart on the inside as you just began to flow with streams of living water that were happening within you? Here's the simple prayer. It's the same one she said to Jesus on that day. Give me this water. I don't have a bunch of things I can say. I don't know all the things like I... I want to be religious and have it all figured out, but I don't. I know it. I know. <laughs> Trust me. Like, I see what, what's wrong here. So, sir, I'm coming to you today. Jesus, give me this water. This is what happens when glory sees you in your shame. It doesn't go away from you. Jesus shows up. He shows up for you. So today we just simply pray this. Jesus, would you give us this water that is eternal life? the one that springs up within us where we will never run dry. Would you give us this water? Amen.